0: Coming up shortly, What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine?
1: But K-U-C-I, FM, so you're, K-U-C-I. K-U-C-I. you're listening to 88.9 FM KUCI in Irvine. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org.
0: This portion of KUCI programming is sponsored by the Southern California University of Health Sciences, which incorporates the Los Angeles College of Chiropractic, the College of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, the School of Massage Therapy, and the Ayurvedic Medicine Program. Southern California University of Health Sciences is accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges, the Accreditation Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, and the Council on Chiropractic Education. More information is available at www.scuhs.edu or at 877-434-7757. That's Southern California University of Health Sciences, helping to keep KUCI on the air. Why do you linger here when there is no hope?
1: There is still hope.
0: Tempted to think there's no hope for overcoming some of the challenges of modern life? Ask an elf.
1: Or a hobbit.
0: Tune in Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with Milo Lomestown at your service and...
1: Tani Tanuvial, the resident KUCI Middle-earth elf. For
0: What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine 88.9 FM and streaming live on kuci.org. the Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore for Lord of the Rings. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? And you may ask, what would Arwen do? What, what is this all about? Well, our program here on KUCI Irvine, the voice of the University of California at Irvine, posits the question, if a Middle-Earth elf lived today in Orange County, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? In other words, what would Arwin do? Some ask, what would Jesus do, which is a very good question. But on this program I ask, we ask, what would Arwin do? Who is Arwin? Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom. Hmm, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or in Elvish, Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With greater privilege comes responsibility she embodied the archetype of a true true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durius writes, in his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of tolkien's elves dwarves hobbits and the like partially represent human beings in tolkien's mythology elves represent what is high and noble in humans in particular they represent the arts in their highest form work done in the image of god and his created world i believe we believe This elven quality exists in every person and yearns for expression through the gifts of creativity, nobility, and service. So, having the incredible privilege of a public affairs program here on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, and being friends with an elf in beautiful Orange County, California, right here in the Middle Earth campus of UCI, when things arise that I want to think more deeply about, i like like to ask my elf friend Tani Tanuville the question, what would Darwin do? This is Milo Lombsdowne at your service, and with me today, as always, is my elf friend, Tani Tenuvial, the resident KUCI elf. Good afternoon, Tani.
1: My and sui laid. Oh my
0: greetings. gosh, we should say greetings not just to each other, but to all of our friends listening live over the airwaves at 88.9 FM, but also listening live as KUCI is live 24 by 7 and has been many years. You just go to KUCI.org and click in the upper right-hand corner to listen live. Or if you prefer podcasting as you work out at the gym or are listening as you study in your dorm room, you can go to KUCITalk.org and download our podcast Or you can go to the iTunes store and for free search on Arwen, that's A-R-W-E-N, and you will find what would Arwen do there. And our episodes are posted generally within 24 hours of the end of the program.
1: Thanks to the Hobbit and his uh, mastery of technology, whereas we elves prefer to be walking about in starlight and moonlight and singing and dancing and things of that sort. And uh, I do want to say a very special hello also to our listeners, both here in Orange County and through the internet. And this, um, so this show's been on the air now for a little over five years, five and a half I guess now. And you've been, we've been together for a year and a half about now almost, I think.
0: Getting close to a year and a half.
1: And this is this being my first quarter of not hosting the show, but um, getting to sit on the other side of the console, uh, whereas my hobbit, was my hobbit co-host, is now the host of the show, and we're having a different adventure than we've had up until this point.
0: And I can assure you that Tolkien was correct when he wrote that hobbits like no machinery more complicated than a horse cart. Whereas, this is way too complicated for this <laughs> hobbit.
1: Whereas elves love that whole multitasking thing. <laughs> but it's it, it it is very fun and I'm very um I'm always I'm always very grateful for getting to experience things in a new context. And speaking of which, of course both of us being lovers not only of the books of J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and of course uh, The Silmarillion, The History of Middle Earth and all of those, but also the movies that were brought to us by Peter Jackson. But we both have very much looked forward to when finally the news will break that it's, um, it's official that the Hobbit movies will go into production. And just these last couple of weeks, We found out about that, and so now every week it seems we will be having such wonderful movie news.
0: But we should first put it in context, dear Elf Princess, Mm -hmm. and that is a wonderful thing that you, through your massive lore and learning, have brought to us (laughs) us over the years here at KUCI. There is, in particular, uh, a piece from the biography, the official, the authorized biography, by Humphrey Carpenter, that just really brings to light some of the context for the work of Tolkien. Would you mind reading that for us, please?
1: <clears throat> I would love to. Um, we today, of course, is the Tuesday before Halloween, so we were going to we're going to be c- talking a little bit about some of the dark a- darker aspects of um, Middle Earth and the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. And uh, as I was doing my research, I kept getting. Uh, a little distracted because i'm so excited about about the movies and about what what may be coming up and just um doing the research on the hobbit you know and it's just where, what where did this tale come from and in um j r tolkien a biography by Humphrey carpenter there's a um a chapter called the new hobbit which was originally kind of what the context of the lord of the rings was going to be and um J.R.R. Tolkien had sent the Silmarillion uh, to Unwin, um, to the publisher, at uh, Allen and Unwin, and uh, they had sent it back saying, this, is, this isn't really where what we're looking for, although um, they had given it to someone to read, and J.R.R. R. Tolkien uh, replied back to them, saying, my chief joy comes from learning that the Silmarillion is not rejected with scorn. I have suffered a sense of fear and bereavement, quite ridiculous, since I let this private and beloved nonsense out. And I think of it, uh, I think if it had seemed to you to be nonsense, I should have felt really crushed. But I shall certainly now hope one day to be able, or to be able to afford to publish The Silmarillion. So we know that The Silmarillion and the tales revolving around that were because J.R. Tolkien, as he has stated in other places, desired to create a mythology for his beloved England. So, he goes on to say, though, that um, he had an idea for a new story, and he wasn't even sure. He thought it would be something of Bilbo, you know, a new new adventure, um, but wasn't sure exactly how it was going to tie together. So I want to read this little part here from The New Hobbit. It says, The new story began rather like the first Hobbit tale. Mr. Bilbo Baggins of Hobbiton gives a party to celebrate his birthday, and after making a speech to his guests, he slips on the magic ring that he acquired in The Hobbit, and vanishes the reason for his disappearance as given in this first draft is that bilbo had not got any money or jewels left and was going off in search of more dragon gold at this point the first version of the opening chapter breaks off unfinished tolkien had as yet no clear idea of what the new story was going to be about at the end of the hobbit he had stated that bilbo quote remained very happy to the end of his days and those were extraordinarily long so how could a, the Hobbit have any new adventures worth the name without this being contradicted? And had he not explored most of the pop possibilities in Bilbo's character, he decided, he decided to introduce a new Hobbit, Bilbo's son, and to give him the name of a family of toy koala bears owned by his children, the Bingos. <laughs> so he crossed out Bilbo in the first dra- draft and wrote above it, Bingo. Then another idea occurred to him, and he wrote it down in memorandum form, as he was often to do during the invention of his new story. Quote, make return of ring a motive. The ring, after all, was both a link with the earlier book and one of the few elements in it that had not been fully developed. Bilbo had acquired it accidentally from the slimy golem beneath the Misty Mountains. Its power of making the wearer invisible had been exploited fully in The Hobbit, but it might be supposed to have other properties. Tolkien made some further notes. The ring wins its origin. Necromancer? Not very dangerous when used for good purpose, but it exacts its penalty. You must either lose it or yourself. Then he rewrote the opening chapter, calling the hero Bilbo Bolgerbaggins, and making him Bilbo's nephew rather than his son. He typed it out, and at the beginning of February 1938, he sent it to Ellen and Enwin asking if Stanley Enwin's son Rainer, who had written the original report on The Hobbit, would care to let him have an opinion on it. Stanley Enwin wrote on 11 February that Rainer had read it and was delighted with it, and he told Tolkien, Tolkien, go right ahead. So this is where we see The Lord of the Rings, and it goes on to say a little bit later that, um, <clears throat> we, because the, the Hobbit is... The, this new version, J.R. Tolkien is still um, discovering himself what this tale is going to be about. And he's thinking that it's going to be like a prequel to The Hobbit it's interesting though that a couple of things happen at this time about this time his son christopher who we know and i love as the one who has brought us all of those additional volumes of the history of middle earth the oh one who took gosh. all of yes his father's notes a from the silmarillion
0: work of scholarship
1: and edited that he actually has written much more than his father has in the sense of bringing Uh, to publication all of his father's notes and making sense and stringing them all together because a lot of them were just bits of pieces here and there. But about this time, um, when uh, J.R.R. Tolkien had just begun work on this, that uh, a mysterious heart condition that had been diagnosed in Christopher, um, and he had to stay at home for many months and kept lying on his back, and it says here, and his father devoted much time and care to him. So I think that it's interesting to me to speculate that that probably was a time of deep bonding between Christopher and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. And it is no wonder to me that Christopher ended up to be, uh, you know, as the third of his sons, the one who really carried the love of this for so long, even after his father's death to bring these things uh, to publication. And later on when um, Christopher was in the RAF. It was he to whom J.R.R. R. Tolkien sent many drafts of *The Lord of the Rings* to get um, just to kind of get his feedback from uh, Christopher. And,
0: and that was he alone of the children.
1: Yes, and so it was really interesting too because of the kind of the way that *The Lord of the Rings* um, evolved as as and. J.R. Tolkien mentioned many times that he did not feel really that he was so much creating this world as he was discovering it. So he was discovering things about it and changes and things about it as he would go along, as many uh, writers do. They think, oh, well, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But then once they start to write the tale, characters show up that they wouldn't imagine and things happen that they had no (laughs) plans for as the story unfolds. Um, But it's interesting, too, that um, as a little bit later, um, it says here, and I love this part, um, what, uh, what had happened then was almost inve- inevitable. Tolkien had not really wanted to write any more stories like The Hobbit, and he wanted to get on with the serious business of his mythology. And that was what he could do now in, with this thread of The Lord of the Rings. Right. It says, but now, for the first time, Tolkien realized the significance of hobbits in Middle Earth. The theme of his new story was large, but it was to have its center in the courage of these small people. And the heart of the book was to be found in the inns and gardens of the Shire, Tolkien's represented, representation of all that he loved best about England. And uh, he goes on to, it goes on to say that um, uh, at the, about the time that Tolkien decided to call the book the Lord of the Rings, Chamberlain signed the Munich Agreement with Hitler. Tolkien, like many of, of others at the time, was suspicious not so much of German intentions as of those of Soviet Russia. Um, but it's interesting to say, um, and it goes on to talk about how the placing of Mordor is no, in no ways allegorical to, um, to any things that were happening in the world. But it does say here, um, elsewhere he made a careful distinction between allegory and applicability. I cordially dislike allegory in all of its mes- manifestations, and always have done so since I grew old and wary enough to detect its presence. I much prefer history, true or feigned, with its varied <coughs> applicability to the thought and experience of readers. Um, oh, and mm, I'm sorry. What I'm so we see here at the time there's the there's the beginning of the, the next the next great war, also. A couple of a little bit later, J.R. Tolkien is to give uh, a lecture at the University of St. Andrews on the um, this idea of subcreation, and that and, and it's during this time that he actually realizes that fantasy he does not believe is necessarily for children, and right. this is when he begins to think back on the Hobbit and kind of wishes that he had not made uh, made it sound like addressing the reader, you know, more of a child's tale. Right. And so it says the lecture was given at St. Andrew's on 8 March 1939. Um, And afterwards, Tolkien returned with new enthusiasm to the story whose purpose he had justified. The story had begun as a mere sequel to The Hobbit at the instigation of his publisher. But now, especially after after the declaration of high purpose that he had made in the lecture... The ring was as important to him as the Silmarils. In fact, it was now clear that the Lord of the Rings was not so much a sequel to the Hobbit as a sequel to the Silmarillion. So it and that's
0: a very, very key point. It is. The Lord of the Rings is not a sequel to the Hobbit.
1: Right. Oh, However, however, the Hobbit is the prequel to the Lord of the Rings. Right. <laughs> And so my question and to give it let us jump into the wonderful movie news of which you have so much to share with us um was my question in reading this was as we you know speculate about how the hobbit will come to the screen um, will peter jackson make it more like the original hobbit of a child to appealing to a younger audience or will he the, the hobbit take on more of this um later idea of what Tolkien would have liked it to be more of an adult for an adult audience.
0: Right, right. And and I must say that is one of the big questions for movie fans, mm-hmm. let alone Tolkien fans. But one of the questions for movie fans is, we have now a green light for the picture given by Warner Brothers and MGM and New Line. So it is officially funded. The rumors are funded to a tune of $500 million, thus making it the most expensive film production cost in the history of mankind, <laughs> or humankind, <laughs> so I guess far. I should say. So even,
1: even more Elf so. Elfkind
0: or Hobbitkind, it yes. is the most expensive film ever made at $500 million. Mm. And it'll be in two parts, released in December 2012, part one, and then December 2013 in part two. And there are many, many questions. We know that the scripts are done. The script for part one, the script for part two are done and have apparently been approved by the studio. They were worked on by Philippa Boyens, Fran Walsh, Peter Jackson, and Guillermo del Toro, who was originally going to direct but couldn't wait until all of the financial mess got straightened out. Well And this... we
1: know that Guillermo del Toro uh his last film which I loved it was a little graphic for me but a very very uh moving deep uh film Pan's Labyrinth is a story where the star is a child the but the, the, it is... the character is a the main character is a child but it is not the children's it story it is not a, a children's
0: film nice. the youngest youngest child I would think of taking to Pan's Labyrinth <laughs> Is probably 16 years old. Yes. Really, you know, more of a small adult mm-hmm. because it uh, deals deals with tremendously adult themes, even right. though the lead character is a child. It's uh, it's uh, the child is there just to give it context.
1: So if they've finished the script, they know whether this is intended for an adult audience or a ch- or a children's audience, right?
0: Well, that's what I was going to comment. On Dear Elf Princess, The Hobbit has spent many, many, many years studying film seriously. And the tone of the film comes from many factors, but the two chief factors are the script and the director. Ooh. And the script can be shaped by the director through cinematography and music. Oh. But listen to the big news this week. So this week's big news is casting news.
1: Absolutely.
0: Signed, sealed, and delivered. Mm -hmm. Definitely written down in black and white ink on contracts. (laughs) We have, there are many sources for this, Mm -hmm. but I I liked the write-up at digitaltrends.com, which was so wonderful. Uh Digitaltrends.com says, introducing the cast of The Hobbit. Now that Peter Jackson's The Hobbit has officially been greenlit the majority of the cast has been officially unveiled. The Hobbit is finally on the path of becoming reality. The main cast has been announced. And this was originally reported by deadline. Mm -hmm. But number one, of course, what we're all waiting for to hear about is Bilbo, but I'm going to leave him to the end. Oh. Going to, we're going to explore all of these people in depth over the next two years yes. because we've got two years before the premiere. Mm-hmm. There's going to be plenty of time to talk in detail. And, and we will, as, as time gets closer, probably each week, we will have a little 5, 10, or 15-minute biography of each of these major characters. But Richard Armitage, who is famous for Robin Hood, the TV series, and also recently named as Captain America, the first Avenger, the star of that. Well, Richard Armitage is playing Thorin Oakenshield. John Callen, who has made a career in movies and TV shows for children and young adults, for instance, he was uh, in the TV show Power Rangers Jungle Fury, Treasure Island Kids, Mm -hmm. but he's a very good quality actor. Mark Hadlow is going to be playing the dwarf Dory. Hadlow has been an actor since 79 in Australia and New Zealand, and he had a small part in King Kong. Peter Hambleton is playing Glowin, uh, unknown outside of New Zealand, but he has starred in, I would say, what I would call local movie and TV work down in Down Under. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Stephen Hunter is going to be being playing Bomber, and he is again unknown on this shores, similarly a TV actor in New Zealand and Australia. Now for Keeley and Feely, we have Keeley is Aidan Turner, best known as Mitchell, the vampire trying to live among humans in the show Being Human. Hmm. It's going to be remade in America with a new cast, but he's not involved. So Keeley is Aidan Turner, and Feely is Rob Kaczynski, you may not have heard of, unless you know the TV show EastEnders, which is shown on public television.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You will get to be more and more familiar with him. He is soon to be starring in the apocalyptic action flick Timeless. And he's also got a role in Red Tail. Red Tail, you may say, what's Red Tail? Well, that's the new name for the Tuskegee Airmen movie that George Lucas wrote, oh. the famous Black Squadron of, of Airmen. Dwaylin is Graham McTavish. You might recognize him, perhaps. He was recently seen in Secretariat, the Disney movie about the the gold, uh, the triple crown winter horse. And he was also had a mercenary role in Rambo. And so that is our cast as of now. Now, the important role... Dear Ooh, Elf Princess, yes, the one course. you know about, and you know something of him, and I know something of him already. Yes, and that is Martin Freeman will be our Bilbo Baggins, signed, sealed, and delivered. Tell us what you've seen, Martin, in.
1: Well, it's very interesting because uh, last week when we made uh, this announcement that you know the deal was signed, and you mentioned Martin Freeman. Um, I wasn't familiar with who he was an actor, so I was like, oh, I need to find out who this person is. And wouldn't you know it, this week in the Los Angeles Times. What on,
0: date is that? This
1: is Saturday, October 23rd. Uh, in the television section, it says, new mysteries are afoot. Uh, this Sherlock for the 21st century keeps the sly sensibility at the heart of the legend. And there's a picture here of uh, Sherlock Holmes, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Watson, Martin Freeman, and it says they're back with smartphones and laptops to accompany their legwork. And I said, oh, my gosh, for sure. it's on." It was on Masterpiece Mystery. And I thought, for sure, I have to see that Sunday night. And so I, I looked it a little bit down here and I thought, if they, I wonder if they say anything about the um, the Lord of the Rings thing." And it says here, um, Watson is played by Martin Freeman, a sensitive, solid, everyman sort, best known here as Tim in the British version of The Office and as author author. Arthur Dent, in the film The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and who was just tapped to play the lead in Peter Jackson's film of The Hobbit. So on Saturday, it you know, and I, when I read this, I said, well, what does that mean he was tapped on the shoulder? Um, because as of Saturday, this wasn't finalized, was it?
0: Um, right. That is a good question as to exactly the minute when that announcement was made
1: but in at any rate i was very excited because i thought okay i i need to see this guy in action and see you know get the feel for whether or not you know i could see him as a hobbit and i was delighted i watched the show on sunday night
0: a study in pink koce television here in orange county repeated repeated later on kcet in los angeles the public television station in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. Well, whatever it was that Masterpiece Theater was Masterpiece
0: on. Theater. I think
1: it's KCET. The right? name
0: of anyway. the show, the name of the series, actually, is Sherlock, and they'll be doing several Sunday evenings of Sherlock. Yes. Sherlock is the name of the series, and the first episode, the premiere episode, was A Study in Pink, Oh, that was which the name was of the sort of a clever play on words for the original introduction of Sherlock Holmes' A Study in Scarlet.
1: Ah, well, I found the show quite fascinating, very fast-paced, and utterly delightful. However, I was somewhat uh, preoccupied <laughs> with <laughs> with uh, Martin Freeman, all the scenes that Work he would we come all. in. And but I loved. It. I even loved the way the the show started. And how with does him. it
0: open, Elf Princess?
1: It opens with him in this room. It
0: opens with Martin Freeman, Martin Dr. Freeman Dr. John solitary, Watson. yes Freeman, yes, solitary, yes, in this,
1: in this room, and he's pensive, and he's reflective, and, you know, you don't know what's going on. So, and, and as soon as I saw it, I thought, wow, that, that that reminds me of Bilbo in the cave. I could see him as Bilbo in the cave going, what, are, you know, what have I got myself into here? And, uh, you know, hearing maybe Gollum, you know, off in the distance and going, oh my gosh. So, it was very interesting to see him, and how, because this being the first of that show, the characters are introduced. So we kind of see how the characters begin to develop and in their relationship with each other in this first episode, you know, episodes after this, they will have already known to each other. So this episode, they meet each other, how they come to be flatmates and all of that and how they come to trust each other. All of these things are happening, were happening Sunday night with this You know, first episode. So it was I felt that it was wonderful because getting to see how, you know, because in the film, Martin Freeman as Bilbo is going to have to be is going to be introduced to 13 dwarves (laughs) and many more characters uh, before his adventures up.
0: And, oh, my gosh, Martin Freeman looks the part. He's got a wonderful nose, a sturdy hobbit kind of nose. Mm -hmm. He's got wonderful British eyes, similar to Ian Holmes' eyes.
1: Yes, even this picture, I thought, you know, he he does look rather like a hobbit. If you were to look at these two, uh, Benedict um, Cumberbatch obviously looks more like an elf. And Martin Freeman looks very much like a hobbit. He doesn't have fine, delicate, sharp features. He has rounded, you know, with a nice little nose. and I mean, he just looks like a hobbit.
0: (laughs) Yes, that was my sense as well. And, by the way, a side note for those of you movie fans out there, those of you who sneer and turn up your nose at television, don't turn up your nose at this piece of work. Mm. I don't know about the rest of the episodes. They haven't aired yet here in the United States. But this British television series from the BBC, Sherlock, is a master class in filmmaking and adaptation. How do you take something written at the end of the 19th century and update it to the 21st century without being silly or foolish or stupid? Mm -hmm. And, oh my gosh, the cinematography, the editing, the music, the acting, the direction – Every and staying single
1: true the to the sense of Sherlock Holmes as using the power of deduction for these things. And, you know, it, it, it was a wonderful balance of setting something in a modern context, but keeping, retaining the the characters' personalities, their, the way they interacted with each other. It, I thought it was just delightful.
0: It was a delightful piece of filmmaking, perhaps not as brilliant as Lord of the Rings, no. but it was very, very good. It's probably the best I'm tempted to say the best Sherlock Holmes adaptation I've seen in a while. So uh, Martin Freeman, who many of you will have recognized from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, not a very good film in The Hobbit's opinion, in my opinion. This is Milo down at your service. This, by the way, is KUCI-FM Irvine. In case you're just tuning in, this is the voice of the University of California at Irvine. And with me is the wonderful Elf the resident elf here at KUCI, Tani Tenuvial, and I am the hobbit Milo Lomestown at your service.
1: And this is what what I would do on every Thursday. Every Tuesday. Oh, did I say, what did I say? Used to be Thursday. Used to be Thursday. Now (laughs) it's
0: every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Yes. And streaming live at KUCI.org 24 by 7 Alternative College Radio.
1: And so it's going to be such great fun over these next couple of years and uh, to discover each week the new developments in the filmmaking. However, um, for myself, being introduced to the world of Middle Earth through the films, my love really is in the books. Not so much the books particularly The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, although I love them, but I actually am most enchanted by the great mythology that J.R.R. Um, discovered and intended for his work as, as a mythology of England. And so... Um, I find it uh, fun and fascinating that you being more the film person that over these these weeks and months will be able to weave together the books and the backstory and the things that were happening as J.R. Tolkien was creating his mythology and his Middle Earth and what um, Peter Jackson and his team of people are doing to create um, a a Middle Earth for uh, our time.
0: And one of the big big questions in those scripts for The Hobbit Part 1 and The Hobbit Part 2 is, to what extent did Guillermo del Toro, Philippa Boyens, Fran Walsh, and Peter Jackson, to what extent did they draw on the Silmarillion, the history of Middle Earth, those wonderful, what is it now, 14 volumes of history that Christopher Tolkien edited, Leaf by Niggle, Mm -hmm. uh, the, The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, how many of these things... Did they draw on for their script, or did they only focus on the hobbit? There are many questions. But you know what, yes. Elf Princess, next Sunday is.
1: Next Sunday is Halloween, and oh my god! And I meant to do some um, research on the history of Halloween, and I just got completely off into other areas of interest. So I don't really know like where this holiday came from, and um, I just know that it's 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 kind of the uh, jumpstart of the holiday season, at least here in America. And for all of its darkness, it's actually, I love Halloween because I feel like for a lot of people, um, who normally would not kind of get out of their comfort zone or do anything kind of crazy. It gives people in a sense, permission to act crazy and dress up like something else and kind of get out of themselves. So, and I think for children even, um, very many times I believe that as children we get into roles within our family, within our school, within our culture, and we kind of get locked into those. And if every once in a while we can have a day like Halloween where we can put on a Superman costume or a Hobbit costume or an elf or a witch or something and just break with, you know, our identification of ourselves as X and allow us to kind of branch out of that, I think that's a good thing. So I actually love Halloween um because i believe that it, uh, it inspires creativity and fun and um and i don't see it so much as a dark holiday although it is that dar- there is that darkness to it
0: oh there is darkness <laughs> elf princess as we
1: also see there is in middle earth
0: is there is darkness in middle earth and we're going to give you a little sample of this
1: in fact you have a poem do you not
0: and you have some music do you not oh yes So I'm going to start with this wonderful music. From the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring original motion picture soundtrack, we have, yes, you love it, the Bridge of Khazad Doom.
1: And I remember hearing this at first and being rather terrified.
0: (laughs) Well, be prepared to be terrified again. Here we are, the Bridge at Khazad (laughs) Doom. Doom. And this is The Mew Slips. The Mew Lips. The Mew Lips from The Adventures of Tom Bombadil*. The shadows where the Mew Lips dwell are dark and wet as ink, and slow and softly rings their bell, as in the slime you sink. You sink into the slime who dare to knock upon their door, while down the grinning gargoyles stare and noisome waters pour. Beside the rotting river-strand the drooping willows weep, and gloomily the gore-crows stand croaking in their sleep. Over the murlock mountains a long and weary way, in a moldy valley where the trees are gray, by a dark pool's borders without wind or tide, moonless and sunless the mule-lips hide. The cellars where the mulips sit are deep and dank and cold with single sickly candle lit, and there they count their gold. Their walls are wet, their ceilings drip, their feet upon the floor go softly with a squish-flap flip as they sidle to the door. They peep out slyly through a crack their feeling fingers creep, and when they've finished, in a sack, your bones they take to keep. Beyond the Murlock mountains, a long and lonely road, through the spider shadows and the marsh of toad, and through the wood of hanging trees and gallows weed, you go to find the mulips and the mulips feed.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a poem for the round the campfire.
0: <laughs> so we have a poem that is keyed to Halloween. All yes. Hallows Eve, Halloween, actually dates from the druidic times of pre-Christian England. When the Druids had their celebrations, our celebration is rooted in that. Mm. Of course, when Christianity came to Great Britain, the church adapted that celebration, as they did other celebrations, to their own purposes, and it became a celebration of All Hallows' Eve, the night before All Hallows' Day, which we now call All Saints' Day, and is still very, very celebrated throughout many countries, that adhere to the Roman Catholic flavor of Christianity. To Protestants, pretty much ignored. All Hallows' Day, All Saints' Day is pretty much ignored, but it's a very big holiday in Roman Catholic countries, as is Dia de los Muertos, which is Day of the Dead, a very big celebration, especially in Mexico, with the sugar, crystal sugar skulls and the the food for the departed ancestors, So even though you see an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe at the altar, there's still some food that's meant for the ancestors as they go on their journey in the afterlife.
1: And uh, interestingly, uh, Halloween is also, October 31st, the anniversary of Martin Luther King nailing the 96 Theses to the wall of the church, to the door of the church.
0: Martin Luther... When he nailed, did
1: I, did I, say, I said Martin Luther, didn't
0: I? You said Martin Luther King. I but didn't that's mean okay. King.
1: I meant Martin Luther, the original
0: Martin Luther. <laughs> yes. Back in the, I guess, sixteenth century, nailed the ninety-five theses mm-hmm. to the door of the church, and thus began the Protestant Revolution. Yes. And I didn't realize that that day was what day was that?
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't remember the year, but it was October thirty-first.
0: October thirty-first. There you are. And by the way, speaking of death. Although this is maybe not a happy piece of news, we should announce uh, something from the one dot net. If you if you are listeners do not know the one dot net, you should dial your browser into that wonderful site. They have many wonderful things. But they pointed out a little article from Forbes magazine, you mm-hmm. know, the one that lists the 400 richest people every year. Mm-hmm. Well, they also list the top dead earners. <laughs> Number one is Elvis Presley. Number two is Michael Jackson. But number three is J.R.R. Tolkien. His estate is number three for deceased earners. And part of that is due that 500,000 copies of The Lord of the Rings are still sold every year, Elf Princess. 500,000 copies of the book. And so, as number three on the list, even though he passed away 37 years ago, he has surpassed such people as John Lennon. Charles Schultz, Albert Einstein, and even Dr. Seuss, the children mm-hmm. children's book author. J.R.R. Tolkien is behind only two people, Elvis Presley and Michael Jackson for...
1: Two rock and roll stars.
0: <laughs> but there's so much else to talk about. You know, one of the scary things, there are many scary things about the Hobbit movies. Yes. <laughs> as I, I continue on that well, theme.
1: And, and it's uh, interesting to, to wonder which of those scary elements... Will make it into the films because you know, obviously, and uh, there were lots of scary things in The Lord of the Rings between you know, there was the orcs, the orukai, um, um uh, the spider, I was gonna say Ungolian, but she was actually in the summer, <laughs> really, um, Shelob. um, there were, um, the uh, ring wraiths. And, the ring and, race, and, uh, 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 the Nazgul, and the fell beasts that they rode.
0: The Nazgul,
1: yes, the Nazgul, and uh, this, but then in the Hobbit, of course, we have um, again we have um, orcs and goblins that we have that trolls. We have the stone trolls, the, the you know the trolls before they became stone trolls. Yes, um, we have spiders, um,
0: and we yes. have the most and, and fearsome the most. Horrible, the most revolting monster in all of Tolkien, perhaps Smaug.
1: Yes, and the I, dragon. Because in Lord of the Rings, we don't, you know, we have Balrog, but we don't. There's no dragons. No dragons in the Lord of the Rings.
0: And in actuality, you might almost say that the Balrog is more horrible than Smaug.
1: Oh yes, I he, think so. Yes, 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 yes. a, a, a much darker, darker creature. I think um, the dragon was mostly just. Uh, Greedy and hungry.
0: <laughs> greedy and hungry. <laughs>
1: Whereas Belrog had, had a Balrog had had a little different sense of evil and a op- you know oppression and that type of thing. So
0: right and really really dark and almost mm-hmm. everlasting evil. Mm-hmm. Eventually Gandalf broke him, but yes. it took a mighty battle, a mighty battle where Gandalf himself says that he transformed into a new being as a result of that battle.
1: Absolutely yes. So um, that's very interesting though about um, being one of the <laughs> the the third top decei- what did I say? deceased what deceased earner, earner. deceased right. earner.
0: Now scary things. You want scary things? It's Halloween, I'll scare you with two pieces of news. Okay. <laughs> a we mm-hmm. don't know where the Hobbit is going to be filled. There was yes, a huge a rally scary. last week mm-hmm. in New Zealand. Four thousand people rallied in favor of the Hobbit films being shot there, yes. But unfortunately, there was some there was some strife, there was some argumentation between people, and there's a good chance, Elf Princess, that only part of the films will be done there.
1: Yes. Well, it's I I find it very unfortunate because I feel that the union, in their zeal for, I think, thinking that they were wanting to do something fair and right. Um, may have really created uh, a lot of problem and the the films may go somewhere else. And, um, I mean, that isn't helping anything. I mean, right. to, to just say, you know, well, um, we insist on these things if you're going to have the film here and then have the film go somewhere else. I mean, n- not only for um, the, the film industry of New Zealand, but, you know, for so many other things. I mean, one of the things that I remember when the uh, Lord of the Rings movies first came out and you saw some of these other interviews and things. Um, I think it was even in the national geographic, uh, documentary was Peter Jackson, um, sharing how uh, much he loved New Zealand and how thrilled he was to be able to film it there. And for the um, boom that it was to the economy, you know, of New Zealand that people pretty much, you know, didn't even think about New Zealand. And then all of a sudden now there were, um, people wanting to come there and visit and, um, Partly because of the interest in the Lord of the Rings and this uh, new Middle Earth, but through that they also, you know, became um, got to experience the culture of New Zealand that a lot of people really had not ever really thought about. And so, um, I think it's it. I think Peter Jackson would have liked to have seen, you know, that that wonderful ex- experience continue. But um, we'll see what happens.
0: We'll see what happens. The other scary. The other scary. Ooh, okay. Is that Sir Ian McKellen, <gasps> Kate Blanchett, oh. Hugo Weaving, and Andy Serkis have not yet signed contracts as of this moment?
1: Yes, that's uh, that is scary. Although um, I guess you, as an elf, you always have a choice to look at things as scary or exciting and mysterious. And it's exciting and (laughs) mysterious. One hopeful note is
0: that Ian McKellen actually relocated his life to the New Zealand, Australia area. For the last two, three months, he's been touring around those islands Mm -hmm. doing theater work and Mm -hmm. live performances. And so I think that there's a lot of hope that these people will reprise. There's hope that Legolas, Orlando Bloom, will reappear.
1: Who knows? Who knows? I, I find it interesting that so far on the casting announcements, there has been no mention of any of the uh, casting for any of the Elvish roles. And there definitely were Elves in The Hobbit.
0: If, so. if not only, right, the major elements of the, the Wood Elves and the Elven King that get into a little bit of a tiff with uh, Thorin Oakenshield and the dwarves well, you about know they, who gets Smaug's Big pile of money.
1: Well, um, and you know, of course, the the elves, the dwarves were held captive by the elves for a while because the elves weren't sure what they were up to, that's and right. that's how they escaped out of you know through the barrels. Um, and the elven king, you know, was the king of Mirkwood, which it would have been Legolas's father. So, right, right. So we shall see. We Wouldn't shall that see. Be we shall see. So
0: well, elf princess, do you know what it's? Uh, it's well, 5 to the hour. We have a little piece of... Yeah, please a couple, mention.
1: Uh, just a couple of things. We have things. lots
0: of things to talk I know. about. We're well, we hoping I... next week to have something. Of course, next week, Monday, mm-hmm. starts the month uh, of novel writing.
1: NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. So Monday begins that. So if you are interested in... Just getting words on paper to see if you've got a novel in you. Uh, You might want to check out National Novel Writing Month or NaNoWriMo. It's either .com or .org or something. But you can Google National Novel Writing Month and hook up with hundreds of other people who are trying their skill at just getting words on paper. Because the whole thing is not to, you know, edit it or make anything, just to get 100,000 words on paper in a month for your novel. And so that's coming up. Uh, Beginning November 1st and and this coming coming weekend weekend. and the following weekend are the Renaissance Fair down here in Felicita Park in San Diego. Now, this is a very special for me, as I've had before on the program, You've Met Ro, the Shield Maiden of Rohan. Uh, That was one of our very first adventures, and we go every year as an anniversary. It's eight years now since we began our adventure together, um, meeting through a message board of the Lord of the Rings, you know, from Tol- Tolkien online, the one com. torque. Um, and uh, we go every um, every year, we go to the Fall Felicita um, Park where she, I bought her a handful of arrows and now she's gone on to win national championships in archery.
0: It's unbelievable. <laughs> from not uh, ever really right. doing archery. You, Elf Princess, are the one that bought her the first set of arrows at the Renaissance <laughs> well, we Fair just to there, try to shoot them.
1: We just, No, we just went there for um, research on our role-play writing stories that we were writing in these collaborative writing stories for uh, stories of Middle Earth. And we went there to learn what it felt like to draw, you know, to draw a a bow, you know, an arrow. Uh, I went there because I was very intrigued by swords. That was actually where I bought, held and bought my first sword. And we learned about how you make uh, chain mail. And um, so we went there simply for research and have had now a lifelong, you know, a friendship now for over eight years. So don't discount those you may meet through the internet and the, the depth of what those friendships can become.
0: My gosh. Well, speaking of friendships, our friendship for this week <laughs> must come to a rapid close as we're almost at the top of the hour, Elf Princess. Well, Thank you for those announcements.
1: And um, we have some wonderful things coming up for uh, oh, we've November. We've
0: wonderful plans for November. And
1: we're
0: going to be talking about adopting a turkey for that important mm-hmm. goal around awesome. Thanksgiving. In any case, dear friends listening to us, Please, please, please have a wonderful and safe Halloween, a joyous and reverent Dia de los Muertos. And don't forget that you need to do your homework and study because one week from today, November second, is the midterm elections. So please if you're able to vote, please vote. M-
1: midterm elections?
0: That's what they're referred to. Oh. <laughs> it's midterm for the president. Oh, and I so see. the elections are called midterm elections oh, okay. because they are The ones between presidential Uh, elections.
1: I I, I try. I really do try, and I and I and I and I will be uh, voting. It's you know as an elf. um, Sometimes just listening to all the rhetoric about it gets a a bit overwhelming. But I am fortunate to have friends that help me to um, cast my vote in a way that is intended, not in a way. Sometimes these things are worded.
0: Well, this is KUCI Irvine, the voice of the University of California, Irvine, and 88.9 FM. And we are just about ready to say farewell.
1: My dear Hobbit friend, until next week, Namaria, Elen Salalomen Namentielvo. And I would like to say also to our listeners, uh, just a little reminder, Lasto Bethnin, Tolo del Nangalad. Listen to my voice come back to the light. Listen to KUCI in Irvine.
0: The best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Mm.